Hello. You're on with Nick and Fiona. The biggest shift for me since I had this role, I've had to start eating meat, which I've never done. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bassine. Nick, what are we talking about today? Hi, Fiona. So we're talking about Can You Ever Forgive Me, a Melissa McCarthy movie, Mortal Engines, the Peter Jackson-produced special effects extravaganza, Creed 2, it's a boxing movie, the sequel to Creed 1. And several Rockies. That's right. And... Producer Dan had a chance to talk to Keisha Castle-Hughes, the star of the new SBS drama On the Ropes. And then we're talking about Succession, which is a new HBO show. But first, we've seen a lot of movies lately, but not necessarily together. So, I mean, we sometimes go off and, and do our own thing. Quite often, in fact. Yeah. I saw Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is an adaptation of a book by the same name by Lee Israel, who wrote about... Being a down-and-out writer in New York, uh, she's fallen out of favor with the literary scene, and she has to resort, just to just to make ends meet, to writing fraudulent memos from famous writers to sell to collectors. Apparently, there's a big market for it, or there was. I don't know if there still is. Um, but Probably pe- less so now. That the yeah, frauds. well, you would think so. And how is she gets deeper and deeper into doing these crimes and the extents to which she goes to keep it going. Mm. Um, I really loved a lot about it. Mm. I think Melissa McCarthy is really good in it. I'm hoping she um, is awarded some sort of prize or at least nominated or Mm. something because she plays a really moody, nasty woman, very different to lots of other roles she's had. I mean, more normally comic stuff, but even the, not overtly comic stuff. This is just much darker. And she she's a huge misanthrope. She lives alone with her cat. She hates everybody. <laughs> and Richard E. Grant, who becomes her drinking buddy, they conspire to commit these literary crimes. Mm. So her performance is great. Richard E. Grant is tremendous in it. I mean, ever since With Nail and I, which was when? Uh, the 80s, Ooh, right? Yeah. It'd be uh, uh, early 80s, maybe. Mm. Ever since then, I watch... Every Richard E. Grant movie, hoping that it comes close, <laughs> because I love that movie so much. It's one of my favorite of all time. His performance in that is so amazing. I mean, it's, that's no secret. People know all about this movie. But I'm always hoping that that Withnail comes back. And in this movie, he kind of comes very close. There's mm. a a jubilant depravity that he's got because he's a he's a drug addict, a booze hound, and um, but very but cheerily so, and it's tremendous to watch, and they are great together. Mm. I mean, I romanticize that uh, down-and-out New York dive bar kind of scene. I, I you know, had my own um, dalliance with that sort mm. of lifestyle, not without the crimes, without the literary crimes. But yeah, I just, I loved a lot about it. I really enjoyed it. I, I highly recommend it. Oh, let's get to that. Why don't I bring us down? <laughs> I saw Mortal Engines. Yes. This one is out this week. So Peter Jackson produced it, but uh, it was directed by Christian Rivers, who is a frequent collaborator with Peter Jackson and the team. He's Oscar-winning the effects artist, actually. So he's the director of this one, which is based on a series of young adult novels. So it looked that way, yeah. Very much so, yes, to which I have no connection. And perhaps it will be more enjoyable if you do have a connection, because if you don't... Good luck. Right. Um, it's a really intriguing premise. So it's set 
kind of a thousand years in the future, there's been a massive catastrophe. Now, the Earth is... Um, it's been destroyed, you know, civilization's been destroyed by a cataclysmic event. And now cities are on wheels. So there are these giants, sure. it's steampunk kind of aesthetic, um, a big rolling cities. London is a predator city. So it's it's roaming the earth, swallowing up these little tiny oh, no. towns. There's an excellent chase scene that opens the movie where it's this enormous steaming ship truck thing that's London powering after a smaller Bath. runaway. <laughs> sure. Just chasing it down. <laughs> yeah, look out, Manchester. Um, no, it's it, it, it just devours things and collects the metal and the junk and it kind of that fuels it forward and, yeah, there's just mm-hmm. giant tie marks across the landscape. So, that you know, that's a very visually appealing, exciting opening that, alas, doesn't live up to its promising early moments. Um, so the story focuses on this woman, Hester. She's mysterious, ends up inside London, and she has an axe to grind with this charismatic leader, I guess you want to call him, played by our Hugo Weaving, mm. who there's something not quite right about him and turns out he's Mr Nasty and there's a backstory. She's got a grudge. Right. <laughs> so she teams up with an outcast from London, they have to basically save the world and stop this giant predatory London from powering towards the east, uh-huh. <laughs> knocking out a wall. Yeah, basically it's got to stop this runaway city okay. from ruining the rest of the earth. And if that didn't make much sense, well, sorry. Um, <laughs> but I didn't make the movie. So why, if the effects were great at the beginning, why why didn't why well, weren't the, they great throughout? And um... I mean, the effects are fine. It's the, that's not... The movie's problem. It's the story. There is so much plot, and you know, I struggled to try and give it a synopsis then because it it probably is a problem with adaptation. But not having read the books, I can't speak to that. But it just seemed like what? And then when another new character is introduced, you go, "Oh, wow!" Yeah. There is so much going on, but also not a lot. You know that kind of moment when you're in a movie, yeah, and it's sure. like, well, "Who's that guy?" And what? And then they get their storyline and it wraps up and it's meant to be rather emotional and it's really not. It had a whiff of the, uh, the trailer at least, had a whiff of the Ready Player Ones about it. Interesting you should say that. Yes. Sure, I can see that. See, there are so many movie references in this. Oh, no. But not... Like Ready Player One style? Well, or it's- see, different to that because that was an obvious movie reference. Like you see the Jurassic Park dinosaur wandering yeah. around. You see everyone has an avatar of a movie and da da This one is more... It's just actually doing the same storylines as other oh. movies. See, in one way you think, okay, it's aimed at a young audience who maybe haven't seen Star Wars, Terminator 2, uh, where, where do we go with it? Um, Howl's Moving Castle, even Wild Wild West, for God's sake. Um, there are so many- The Will Smith movie. <laughs> the terrible Will Smith oh movie. Oh, my God. Well, you know, in the fact that it's steampunk and oh, right, right. crazy spider invention things. There's a very strong Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. Both of them are come through in this. There's a very strong Terminator 2 character uh-huh. so you think is it an homage or is it cherry picking to kind of make a new storyline i guess you could get away with it couldn't yeah, you? No. if you haven't seen the others if you, you just think oh wow those, that's yeah. but it's just not done very well that's that's my other issue with it it's like come on the dialogue is really terrible yeah it plays to emotional beats that just aren't there like it builds to a crescendo several times and you think it's the ending <laughs> several times in what way do you feel like it's a Peter Jackson produced, influenced movie? Is it just, or is it just that his company did the effects? 
uh, where did the effects? He wrote it with his regular collaborators, Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens. So they adapted it from a book by Philip Reeve. And it, I mean, it kind of does have the hallmarks of the Peter Jackson adaptations in that like there is, like The Hobbit was a small book, but they've managed to make a lot of movies out of that. Yeah. And yeah, the whole world is laden with effects, but I don't think they're bad, like at all. Like it's, I think the focus probably was on the technology and the the realizing the world, maybe less so on the story. I just think there's a very long plot point devoted to well, it's like a zombie robot thing that gets a its own backstory and it plays out. It gets a narrative line. It does not need it. Because when you reflect back, you just think, wow, that whole sequence was just really for this moment. So it doesn't serve the wider story and it just feels a bit painful, really. There are interesting elements in the story in that, you know, obviously it's a runaway London city trying to devour the world and there's a whole colonialism kind of story there and a little bit of a nod to Brexit to, you know, reconnect with other, with the rest of the world. Don't don't be isolationist. Um, And that's interesting. That's a great... There's a lot of meat there for a story. Is there a romance? I think there was a hint at is. a romance. Yes, there is. With some dreamboat between the, the main woman and the and some dreamboat. Dreamboat with shaggy hair. Yeah, there is. Can which we, we can lose. I'm pretty um, tired <laughs> of all these uh, young adult uh, novels that get made into movies. Post-apocalyptic ones especially. Oh, they're all post-apocalyptic. Yeah. What is going on? Do you, are there um, any that you like? I can't think of a single one I've ever I liked. I liked the start of... The one with Shailene Woodley, it was, I think, Divergent, and then yeah. there was something else in Surgeon. Do you like the Hunger and Games? Then... I didn't mind the first one. I kind of tapped out, though. Yeah. Um, did not care for the Maze Runner. No, all of these um, things look terrible. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, if they're engrossing, great, but it's more, I kind of only watched the first one. I don't really stick around for the sequels, and that's one thing in this film's favour. I don't think it's set up for a sequel. Oh, more, and maybe more in our favor. Oh, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm grateful for that. Look, I just didn't care for it. It's it's not the worst film I've ever seen, but it just tries to bite off more than it can chew. And I'm all for a magnificent folly, but nope. yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Anytime. That's what we're here for. So next, um, I saw Creed Two. You have you haven't seen Creed Two? No, II. I haven't. Got did you to see it. the first one? I did. It was great. So I, I don't. I didn't remember any of what <laughs> happened in the first one. I remember enjoying it and liking, uh, having a good time, and being impressed that they've re reinvigorated uh, the Rocky franchise after five hundred movies the first time around. Fact um, check. So it it kind of begins with you know how at some premieres in Australia they'll have. The stars of the movie doing hilariously a video. doing video. Hey, what's up, Australia? That happened to, in Mortal Engines as well. Those things crack me up all the time. And so they got uh, Michael B. Jordan and the Russian boxer that he's facing in the movie, who's played by Florian Montianu. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. So Florian, his thank you for watching, Australia, <laughs> is one of the most stiff deer in the headlights Thanks for watching Australia, as I've ever seen in all of these uh, premieres. It was Love very it. funny. Kind of set the the tone <laughs> for the movie, which uh, was kind of baffling. He probably um, wasn't hired for his line delivery, though. No, but actually, in the movie, he he's not bad. I mean, he's he doesn't do a lot of talking. 
he does a lot of punching <laughs> and he's very, you know, he's very large and scary, which is what he's supposed <laughs> to be. He's so if if you've ever wondered what what happened to Drago mm-hmm. from Rocky Four, which you have, you've asked about always, it on the show. Every day. You're always wondering. I'm never not asking that. Well, this movie tells you. He went back to Russia, or he was already in Russia. He lost in Russia. <laughs> he um, was disgraced, and now he's got this son with Bridget Nielsen, who makes a hilarious Amazing. cameo. And um, But they're no longer together because he's uh, disgraceful, and now Drago wants his son to fight Rocky's, not actual son, but Apollo Creed's son. Yes. Played by Michael B. Jordan. And, uh, well, obviously, Drago famously kills Apollo Creed in the ring at the beginning of Rocky Four. If he dies, he dies. We all remember that. But uh, this was so unbelievably slow mm. and boring, mm. and you're just sitting there. You know exactly what's going to happen. Like, I guess, in any, maybe in any boxing movie, but a good boxing movie will at least make you care about the main boxing guy so that by the time you reach the final fight, which is inevitable, or in the final training montage, for God's sake... Yeah, if you got some something invested, some emotion invested, it I I could couldn't have cared less. Also, you've they've got backstory here, like the sons of the fathers. So, like you know, there's this. Yeah, is there a, should be. <laughs> they're bringing it to the ring. Yeah, you would think, and I guess when you're coming up with the idea for a sequel to Creed, this seems like a good idea. Yeah. A lot of uh, That's emotional a great baggage, a lot of impact. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, I guess I don't know. In Creed, in the first one, was he such a parody of himself? I mean, he's no, he was good. He's not, he's not, his, I guess it's just poorly written, but he's not good in this. The character is not, there's nothing good for him to do. It's like I wrote it. Well, there you go. Maybe he's lost his touch. Okay. Because, uh, do you mind if I read you a couple of lines from this movie? She's a fighter, just like her dad. That's Michael Mm -hmm. B. Jordan talking about his daughter. Mm -hmm. Unacceptable. And there's a sincere moment where Rocky says, don't make the same mistakes I made. Mm-hmm. These are things that people should not be saying in movies. Anyway, the boxing scenes were really great. Well, that's the question, isn't it? They're extremely visceral. I don't know from a boxing reality standpoint how how good they are. There's a great video on YouTube that I watched where real boxers watch clips from boxing oh. movies and grade them okay. according to their uh, verisimilitude. But I, I mean, I felt every punch in, in these. I think those scenes are incredible. But uh, it felt really pointless at the end, and I I, um, I didn't like it. I hated That's it. A shame. Yeah, I had recently seen Million Dollar Baby, which I, I you love it, don't you? Which I loved, mm. and I love Rocky. There are other movie boxing movies that I love. Oh, absolutely. I think it's about at least for me um, the main boxer who you know is going to have that big fight at the end, but he's coming from he or she is coming from just trash, and. This is how this is going it's a way to way to make it. Yeah. And and become a human being. And that's why Million Dollar Baby was so powerful for me. And Rocky also, mm. despite I guess, you know, Rocky, there's a weird racial um thing going on. But still, that's what I love about great boxing movies. Yeah, but this but Creed Two is is not. Maybe it's because there's a different director. It's not um, Yeah, it's not Ryan Coogler this time. Yeah, he was off know. making a little movie called Black Panther. Yeah, right. He does have a credit on this though. I think he maybe developed it and then Went off and made a Marvel movie. Yeah. Speaking of boxing entertainment, producer Dan had a chance to interview Keisha Castle-Hughes, who's the star of On the Ropes, 
Producer Dan, are you with us? I am. Hi, Dan. Hey, guys. Uh, so I went and did a set visit to On The Ropes. I went to the set where they were filming the boxing, like there's a, what would you call it? Like a boxing gym. Sure. I, th- I think that's what it's, I think that's the parlance <laughs> yeah. of the industry. Gymnasium. Gym yeah. is short for gymnasium. Oh, really? Yeah. You learn so much in this podcast. Oh, wow. It's the facility where most of the boxing events that you see throughout the series are taking place. And what I thought was kind of fun, and I thought maybe to start to you guys briefly, is that I always like going to visit the set of anything and the things that actually dress up to be what you're seeing on the screen. Mm. So viewers at home will see it as the place where all the boxing events are taking place. Me in real life, I'm seeing it as the Croatian club out in the western suburbs of Sydney. Okay. So it's always just kind of fun to see like this complete disparity between what the building actually is versus what it's it is. Movie incarnation. And I thought I'd throw it to you guys. Is there like a unique set that you've visited where you were really sort of struck at the difference of where you actually were versus what was presented on screen? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't really. I haven't been on. Uh, I thought I've been in studios, so they kind of make it movie magic. It's not quite what you're describing, but um, I've worked on studio lots where you're walking around on where they shoot NYPD Blue or whatever, and it looks super fake. Mm. But on on TV, mm. it looks amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. Like with the US sets, how fake it does it look in real life? Yeah, they look ridiculous, yeah. especially well Seinfeld. Eventually, I guess. Seinfeld looks super fake. Well, they built that real life streets. Yeah. On I think it was a Sony lot that they used for all the other sitcoms at the time then as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I went and did this set visit. I had a chat with uh, Keisha Castle Hughes, who we'll hear from in a moment. Also other stars from the show, so Jack Thompson and also Nicole Shimon. All really nice people. I had a great chat with them. And you can find all three interviews on the On The Ropes site at SBS. So sbs.com.au slash on the ropes. But I had to chat with Keisha and I wanted to share it as part of this podcast. So this is my chat with Keisha, who could not have been a lovelier person and just a great chat. I just interviewed Jack Thompson and I walked away from that very starstruck. How is it for you working with Jack Thompson? Like, have you found him him to be just another actor on the set or are you in a similar starstruck? Oh, I think, you know, working with Jack Thompson, anytime you get an opportunity as an actor to work with someone who's had that longer career and that much experience and then not to mention, like, that successful, Mm. you know, it's super exciting to be around for sure. You know, when we all first found out that Jack was going to be a part of the ropes. Like, we all collectively yeah. kind of went, oh, my gosh. So you were signed on by that point? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so, and we, um, he came in for, like, the our big read-through, our big SBS read-through, and no one could kind of form sentences around him at all. <laughs> it's um, good. I don't feel alone. No, not at all. Like, it's, yeah, it's a very common thing. I mean, he's a very charismatic man, and he is, you know, like, there's something, I mean, about him that you kind of fall, start falling over your own feet when you're around him. Yeah. And so... It's, I mean, it's just nice to kind of shut up around actors like that and just observe and learn as much as you can. I mean, he's wickedly funny, yeah. so he makes it very easy. There's nothing about him that's kind of pretentious at all. Now, I hear that phrase a fair bit when mm-hmm. um, particularly actors talk about working with other actors, mm-hmm. but, you know, every so often, like in real life as well, mm-hmm. people talk about, oh, I've learned such and such from that person. Mm-hmm. Like, can you pinpoint one thing that you have learned from Jack Thompson? I mean, I don't get to work with Jack a lot. Yeah. So I just actually have one scene with him, the whole thing. So, oh, wow. yeah. Okay. So, which, you know, so, I mean, if anything, but it's, he has a grace in which, like, the way he just moves, like, in a set and the comfortability of kind of just getting on with it and getting stuff done. Mm. You know, and so... Being around that, of course, like creates an ease, you know, it's something to look to for all of us and for everyone to kind of, 
you know, he leads the way in that. And, you know, you go, oh, you know what, it's not that bad. It's like, it's really not. You know, actors, we do like to find a lot of things to complain about. And, you know, he's a nice reminder that there really isn't much to complain about. <laughs> he doesn't strike me as a prima donna type. Oh, no, not at all. No. He's very, very down to earth. Uh, so when you were looking at this role and deciding whether it's something you wanted to get attached with, like what was it about the role that spoke to you? I mean, for first things first, like I always like to look for opportunities to kind of work in this part of the world because I don't, I have, I don't a lot anymore. You know, no. I've been based in LA for 10 years and so I don't get to come home a lot. And so it's exciting when I first read the ropes, it was like something unlike I'd kind of read before, mm. which is always exciting. And I think the biggest thing is the fact that it's a female-driven story told from the perspective of women. You know, it's not a female-driven story told from the perspective of someone else. It's actually from Amira's point of view. It's her story and it's her world. Yeah. And I think that SBS, are, you know, they're doing stuff that no one else is doing and they're kind of telling stories that are that are real, that are diverse, that, you know, have characters that are, are people we know. They're not characters that are just built for screen or, you know, and it's representative of the world in which, it was representative of 2018. So the biggest thing for me was that, that these, you know, I went, oh my gosh, I want to know more about this world, about this family, about where they come from, about how they got here. And then obviously, you know, putting that on the backdrop of, the boxing world is such a fascinating world. There's so many layers to it. It's, you know, you can go into the depths of it and learn about, you know, it's like I'd never done any any kind of boxing. I'd never, don't know anything about the world. And so anytime that I get an opportunity to kind of get a sneak peek into another world like that, I'm always willing to. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of boxing, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that... Do you like box for fitness or anything before doing No, this? I had never, no. I'd so, never no. done any boxing. Never struck the gloves on? No, not yeah. at all. So this has been like a whole new, um, a brand new world for me, like across the board. Yeah. So. Now, obviously on screen, you need to look like you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, what have you done to try to get to that level? I mean, we've been training like intensely. So I've been, mm. I've been training for like three months and we train like on average, like five hours a day. So it was really important, like Shannon Murphy, our director, it was really important for her that, you know, we underwent the training that, you know, obviously you can't, there's no world in which I can become a pro boxer or even, a, you know, an amateur boxer in that time. Mm. But, you know, understanding the world and understanding the nuances and like kind of diving deep into how it works in the psyche of a boxer and like understanding what that feels like to undergo that training and to be that exhausted and, you know, to restrict a lot of things, you know, in your life. Like that's the thing is like you, it, it is very, it's all consuming. It's an all consuming, any kind of athleticism can be, you know, and it's yeah. like you have to, I love food and, you know. That's like, not my next question for you. I don't, I don't get to, like, I was like, what is this? What do you mean I can't eat whatever I want? This is so crazy. So obviously you haven't been able to eat what you wanted when yeah, you yeah. this. What about now? Because you've got temptations of craft services as well. Like, I know. It's like, how do you work through this? Um, well, I've been really impressed, actually. You know, like I've been, I've been so impressed. Like I've totally forgotten how we're so much healthier in this part of the world, yeah, and so much more conscious of stuff like that. You know, like in terms of like the craft services uh, 
you know, like everyone knows like the big tales of the craft services trucks on American productions and they are all true. Like it's just yeah. every single snack and like thing that you never ever thought you wanted or would never buy is available to you at all times of the day. But this is why you've been there for 10 years. You know, exactly, yeah, exactly. You know, so it's like, yeah, I just go, for, I just work for the craft services. That's <laughs> it. But I was, but it's kind of great because I was like, we're much more health conscious. And so, and, and I think maybe particularly this production has been as well. Like I know mm. there's been a really large effort to kind of reduce our um, waste and to be really conscious of what we're recycling and reusing cups and reusing bottles and then not having a bunch of snacks that, you know, have packaging and stuff and that are full of sugar. And so we're mostly just fruit and crackers. And Yeah, I was wondering if you got given specific meals in the way that other people on the crew aren't. Um, no, like I, I mean, I have like a, you know, like a meal plan that I stick to, but, yeah. you know, I just like kind of keep track of it, so... Now, quietly, just between you and yeah. I, stick to or stick to? I do stick to it, unfortunately, yeah. yeah it's like, I, the thing is I learned very quickly. At first, I was very much like, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. You know, like I was like, I eat pretty... So the biggest shift for me is that I've, like, since I had this role, I've had to start eating meat, which I've never done yeah. um, because I just didn't have the energy and I couldn't make up for, like, you know, like I just needed it. My body was like, I, I went to a doctor and they were like, yeah, you need some like actual meat and protein to you know like when you're working out this much and I was like well so that's been like a really weird yeah kind of shift for me and so at first I was like oh I'll be fine and then like your body your body responds to that kind of level of training it knows it's amazing like your body knows what it needs and then if I did have any point where I where I'd eat like a bunch of sugar or crap like I would just I would just like shut down <laughs> and I would fit and then training would be 10 times worse the next day so so obviously vegetarian or vegan yeah yeah vegetarian yeah yeah uh now I sort of know you for mm-hmm. having a bit of a political activist sort of mm-hmm. streak where you've had like some green piece of involvement mm-hmm. I think about that side of you but also I'm thinking that you're in this boxing tv show and yeah. boxing doesn't really strike me as something which probably sort of adheres to like the sort of greeny <laughs> green piece sort of maybe animals. I don't know yes yeah. and no I mean like Boxing is brutal world, but the thing that's been most fascinating for me is, like, it's actually, like, a very... There's a lot of people that come to boxing, like, that have had, you know, coloured past or, you know, like, it's there's a very... There's a peace within the world, you know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of discipline to it. And so it requires you to be focused, and I think, you know, for a lot of people, it gives them focus that they haven't been able to find in other outlets of their life. And one of the things that I've really, really taken note of and we're really kind of pushing to kind of have more in the show is I think one of the great things is that there's like a bunch of kids, you know, like who get into boxing who potentially like they don't have a lot of options in terms of like their weekends get to a point where they're just like we are from a culture that's very much focused on like you know, like having a weekend where you just go to the pub and you get drunk and that's kind of an outlet, you know. And um, it's really been great to watch. There's so many people who, like, come into, especially in the amateur boxing world, you know, who have all these stories who who don't, who have this as an outlet, who have this fitness, who have this focus, you know, they might be working toward a fight, you know, and then that takes away all of that other stuff. And it's like, and that's such a, like, cooler outlet as well to know that, like, in six weeks' time you're going to have a fight, you know, with someone and (laughs) potentially get your nose broken or, you know, but it's like, it's like, oh, this is much healthier, 
healthier way for people to be expressing themselves. <laughs> now, I know I'm going to betray my really cool guy exterior here, <laughs> but I'm a bit of a nerd. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you've been in a Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've got to talk to you about okay, this. Okay, yeah. Now, this week's really particularly interesting where mm-hmm. there's been a lot of conversation about the misogyny of Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering for you, as you were there as Queen, and I can never quite pronounce this name, it's Queen Apalana. yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, what's been your involvement with Star Wars fans? Have you noticed any of the sort of harassment that a lot of female Star Wars actors have experienced? I mean, to be completely honest, I had such a small involvement in the franchise. You know, like it's so yeah. exciting to be a part of it, but like, you know, like it was such a small involvement and I was I was so young that my experience with the fans wouldn't have been as much as people who were like on press tours for the show, for the yeah, films sure, sure. or anything like that. Um, but I would, you know, like... I don't know, it's fascinating. It's like, we're in a fascinating, like an interesting kind of shift in terms of like, say like 20 years ago, there wasn't as much of a culture around, or it wasn't as cool to be a fan of, Mm. you know, but we've moved into a world where all of a sudden majority of mainstream now is all nerd culture. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, no, exactly, which is (laughs) great because it's like, and why not? Because it's, you can create worlds where you can tell all sorts of stories and there's no limitations in terms of how people look or who they are or, and so, I mean, I don't, like, I personally haven't had haven't experienced that you know like I mean you know I mean Star Wars fans are intense mm. that's for sure you know <laughs> they know they you know like they're intense about you know, about the world and what they know but I haven't I've only really had like I've done a lot of Comic-Con stuff and only really had like kind of pleasant experience experiences with people who are just kind of grateful to like meet you if you're a part of the franchise yeah you don't get those sort of awkward tweets coming through or no no I don't yeah <laughs> Okay, final question. Yep. I noticed you got some tats on your arm. Oh yeah, yeah. Are they real tats or are these? For yeah, the they are. They are real. Yeah, some yeah. of them are real, and they're added to for the show. So, but yeah, so they're like yeah. half and half. Because I'm thinking as a boxer, mm-hmm. as opposed to say if you're in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, having tats is actually probably a welcome thing. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. And I mean, even at this day and age, like I know a lot of actors now. You know, like it depends on. Yeah, exactly. If you're in like a world like Game of Thrones, it's harder but in terms of modern day stuff I guess like we've moved into people have tattoos a lot yeah. now you know a lot especially in professional spaces or so you don't have to cover them um so you don't have to I don't have to cover them as much as I used to yeah yeah, yeah. that's awesome excellent well thank you very much for of course thank you fantastic so that was Keisha Castle Hughes yeah and as you heard lovely person yeah. yeah I really got a kick out of talking to her on the ropes is currently screening on SBS every Thursday night at 9 30 you can also watch episodes on demand anytime at SBS On Demand. Fantastic. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. So now we're talking about what we've been watching. Fiona, what have you been watching? Uh, well, I've been watching a few things, but one thing I'm really getting into is a new show called Succession, which is about a quote-unquote fictional media baron, an ageing media baron with four adult children, and the plot revolves around if and when he leaves the earth, who's going to inherit it? Because he pretty much owns everything on the planet in terms of media and studios and whatnot. And again, stop me if this makes you think of anyone. King Lear? (laughs) Boom. Uh, No. So it uh, stars friend of the show, Brian Cox, as Logan Roy is is the name of this uh, media baron. That's a great name. I know, isn't it? So uh, it... And Kieran Culkin is one of the children, as is Sarah Snook, Aussie gal, Sarah Snook, Alan Ruck, and Nicholas Braun, who is great as kind of the son, the heir apparent, who's maybe not. Uh, no, it's great. And Haim Abbas as well. She's fantastic as his new wife, not the mother of the children, who 
they're eyeing off as, hang on, she doesn't get to get a piece of this pie if mm-hmm. and when we all inherit. So, yeah, it's incredible. Just looking at the machinations in the family, yeah, looking at these incredibly wealthy people who are just waiting for their time in the sun. As it. It's produced by Adam McKay. Adam McKay, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, did, they, did he write it? No, he didn't write it. It's sort of been developed by Jesse Armstrong who – He's one of the writers on Peep Show. He did In the Loop, Four Lions. Uh, yeah, it's sort of great British comedy tradition. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, it's great. It's really good. So I'm um, a few eps into that, so enjoying that's, that. That's an interesting segue into what I've been watching, mm-hmm. an unexpected segue, because I, I've always meant to watch The Day Today, which is um, six half-hour episodes uh, from 1994, of a show um, as a parody of, of news shows okay. um, created by Chris Morris, who's a, of whom I'm an enormous fan. Uh, Brass Eye um, is one of my favorite shows. And uh, Armando Iannucci, I'm also a friend of the show. Also, oh, Of course, yes. We, you spoke to him. Yeah. So some of their early work is the introduction of Alan Partridge, Steve Coogan. Love it. It's still, it holds up really nicely. It's very funny. There's a little uh, blackface moment, which uh, doesn't... Oh, uh, disappointing. So it's, it's obviously unpleasant. But then it also, I thought about Chris Lilly's bit where he does the mm. blackface. Mm. And it's, it's, the same, it's the same sort of mm. deal. And to see that, well, it was being done in 1994, it's still doing it now. Anyway, but anyway, it's, it's very funny. I, I really liked it. I love those guys and that dark, super dark British yeah. satire is very funny. Very good. Well, that's our show. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to SBS The Playlist, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave a review, say some nice things. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at SBS Movies. I'm on Twitter at Nick Bassine. I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. The Playlist is produced by Dan Barrett with audio and mixing by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>